Welcome to the View from the Penalty Box podcast with Cam Connor. Classic hockey stories from one of hockey's toughest enforcers. Episode 22, I'm Cam Connor along with my son Chris. So welcome back everyone. Last week, Dad, you had the opportunity to be interviewed on NHL Game Day for Sirius XM Radio. So if anyone wants to hear you talk about the playoffs and other topics, and you have a subscription to Sirius Radio, take a listen. It happened last week. I think it was last Monday. Sounds um, right. But I know one of the things that they asked you about was your double overtime goal. So do you ever get tired of Talking about that goal because I know that's what a lot of people ask you about. Well, they do, especially if they're out. Of, they're out of Toronto. This radio station, of course, this is where I scored my double overtime goal was against the Maple Leafs. And do I get tired of talking about it? Yes and no. I mean, it's nice to live in the past. I mean, that's real nice. But it, it wasn't the slap shot top corner or three deeks, and I slept it through his legs. It wasn't one of those great goals that you lay in bed and you think about, wow. You know, it was, I went from my backhand to my forehand, and uh, I I lost the puck between the backhand and the forehand. Now, the goalie, that's one thing about being a goalie. It doesn't matter if I know where I'm shooting. This whole secret is just get the puck on net, and they have to stop it. So, the goalie, Palmateer, if you ever watched the games back then, he was a very petite goalie, uh, very tiny, so he'd have to charge out of the net to cut down the angles when somebody was going to shoot. I knew he was going to do this, so when I went from my backhand to my forehand, he had to open his legs and move with me, and the puck went through his legs. So, again, I don't get tired of talking about it, but I wish I just scored a, a nicer-looking goal. So you also talked about your thoughts on the playoffs, and we'll talk about that a little bit right now. Uh, there's probably two teams that you're particularly interested in. One is the success of the Winnipeg Jets, since you are from Winnipeg, and the other is the Golden Knights, since you had a really good prediction before, even I think it was before preseason, where you thought that they would make the playoffs. So what are your thoughts of the playoffs and the team so far? Well, let's start with uh, Vegas. You're right. I did say I thought that they were going to make the playoffs, which it's very, very rare that in any sport that an expansion team makes the playoffs. It's extremely rare. It happens, but not very often. I thought that they they could do it. What I didn't predict is how well they're doing in the playoffs because when you play an expansion team, they could get lucky. You're not really concentrating on them like you would a number one team. You know you better show up or you get really beat. When you play Vegas, especially early in the season, you just think it's a bunch of guys that uh, weren't protected and they're all on a team. So you would expect to have uh, fairly easy games. So I was waiting for the shoe to drop in the playoffs. Everybody, you know, when I think they finished second in the league. So when the playoffs started, every team's going to say, okay, these guys are for real. We've got a bear down, best out of seven. Now they're in the second series here, and they're they're beating San Jose. I thought the Sharks were going to take them. I I got to be honest. And so far, three games to two. It's not over. This is hockey. It's not over till you know you get your four wins. 
It's going to be interesting. I was watching the game last night, Winnipeg in Nashville. I watched the first period. Nashville was all over Winnipeg. Their goalie, that's the value of a goalie. When Winnipeg was struggling and uh, the other team was dominating, you talk about who's getting the better chances to score in Nashville by far. That goalie kept them in and he kept them in and he kept them in. All of a sudden, the second period comes around and they score four goals, I believe, and then they got another one or two in the third. The goalie bottom time till they got back into the game. I, I, I actually stopped watching. It's actually a little bit later uh, in Edmonton when those games come on. So I was bushed and I went to bed after the first period thinking that Winnipeg was going to be in big trouble. Six to two or six to three. They're the real deal. They're the re- real deal. But. They go back to Winnipeg. Winnipeg, they want to win. They don't want to go back to Nashville. So game six in Winnipeg, it's going to be a really good hockey game because you get two teams, one that says, hey, we lose, we're done. The other team says, if we lose, we got to go back to their rink. It'll be a great hockey game. And one of their biggest fans is your father, who is 97, and do you want to talk a little bit about how amazing Granddad is? Well, I don't know if anybody really you know, cares about my 97, soon to be 98-year-old uh, father. My dad still lives, and my mom, they live in the same house. My dad stays busy. That's the secret to longevity, he tells me. is uh, He just does he watches his sports, but he can't sit around too long, so he'll go for walks. He used to swim every second day for about 25 years just to keep the body moving. He works in the yard. And and he has no help, no hired help, no one. People will come help uh, shovel the snow, but no one, uh, he, he lives with grandma and does everything on his own. Well, he does. So I just hope that, uh, I mean, I've got some good genes on my mother's side. Her mother lived to 99. I've got some good genes. Uh, hopefully I didn't screw it up when I was younger. So the topic for today is answering all of your questions. Dad, you put, I think on Twitter, you tweeted that if anyone had any questions, to send them in, and you got a lot. So we thought, why don't we have today's episode uh, answering a lot of people's questions, and what makes that interesting is then you have a whole bunch of different topics, and we bounce around a lot, although there seems to be a consistent thread in the questions, uh, but we had some really great questions. So... If anyone has a question for an upcoming episode, you can always send an email at viewfromthepenaltybox at gmail.com. And Dad, you answer every single email that you get. I think you really like it. So send an email if you want to talk to Dad, pick his brain. You can also send a tweet on Twitter at CamConnorNHL. And if anyone wants to help support the podcast for all the costs that are associated with it, We appreciate anyone who buys a t-shirt, coffee mug, and it's at viewfromthepenaltybox.com slash merch, M-E-R-C-H. So we'll get to the first question, which uh, was an email sent from Christy W. And it reads, Hey Cam, I had a question for you that has been floating around Twitter recently, streaming down from Tom Wilson and Kadri in the playoffs. Peros has been in this conversation as well. Is there a difference between an enforcer and a goon? 
And there's another question attached to this, but I'll let you answer the first one of, is there a difference between an enforcer and a goon? Let's start off with uh, Wilson and Kadri. Um, I did see the hits that they got suspended for. Kadri deserved to, uh, you know, I think he got three-game suspension. He didn't have to do that. Sure, he's sticking up for his guys, but the guy's head was against the boards, and he tried to hit that guy hard. I don't know if he aimed for his head or not, but that, in my opinion, that was certainly worth his suspension. When I looked at Wilson's hit that he got suspended for, you know, I personally like Wilson. He's an aggressive player. He takes the body. He gets involved. Uh, he's a good skater. He's a good hockey player. And uh, you need a guy like that on your team that makes the other team keep their head up. I personally don't think he should have got suspended for that particular hit, but, you know, I'm not the NHL. So the difference between an enforcer and a goon, that is so easy. When you go back and you listen to my world hockey stories and you look at that old movie, I believe it was like 77, Slapshot, those guys were goons in the world hockey. We had guys that... Only, and I would say, you know, teams we played, some of them have as many as five guys just sitting on the bench, and uh, their coach would send them out to fight. And you try to play hockey by, you know, being aggressive and you're taking a body, and maybe you're making a difference in the game, and the coach says, go out there and get Connor. And they don't play a regular shift, they just sit on the bench until it gets rough and you go out and fight. That's the reason I quit my junior team at 18 years old. The coach wanted to use me as the goon. Sit on the bench, got rough, they'd stick me out there. I'm not playing that hockey. You give me a regular shift, things will happen anyway. So I quit the team. In the world hockey in particular, it was just goofy. There was guys that just couldn't play a regular shift. They were on a team. They should have been in the minors. But that was the style of hockey. And I blame the referees as well. You could pretty well do anything you wanted back in the world hockey. You could slash, two-hand, cross-check, punch a guy in the head, spear guys. Like, I saw all, and I did some of that myself. But they didn't call any of that shit. And so today, you know, I believe that, uh, so let me go back. So the difference between an enforcer and what was the other, and a goon. Yeah, so the enforcer was a guy like Bob Probert, for example, that could play. He could get a regular shift, and when he's on the ice, like a goon, he doesn't know how to play his position. He runs all over the ice chasing the puck, and he costs you goals when he's out there and not fighting. And an enforcer is a guy that plays, and I, and I would say like a Wilson, just because, you know, we're talking about him. He plays an aggressive game. He takes the body. He gets involved. That's the difference. Is is an enforcer or somebody that can play a regular shift, get involved, stand up for his teammates, but he can play the game of hockey. So there is a major difference between the two individuals. And and and, and you look today. I don't know if it's just me because of my era that I played in. Like, I can't even believe the pen, And I don't think the players on the ice can believe the penalties that they're getting. It's not even taking away scoring chances. It's not hurting anybody. It's not even, you know, screwing up a play. You get somebody just raising their stick up and, and bang a shin pad or a little touch around the hand. It is so minor. It doesn't affect the game one little bit. 
and they're calling penalties. I mean, as I said before, hockey used to be a man's game. And when I see them taking the fighting out of hockey, which to some degree, that's okay. But I'm starting to think that, and I, and I like soccer, but I don't like the soccer players that, you know, you see them, something happens, and they're rolling on the pitch that as if they got like a bazooka shot at them. And then they show the replay, and there was nothing there. They're just faking it. And I can see that in the NHL now. When I see um, somebody does something to somebody, even the goalies, they're just faking all their stuff. And the, the really the way you can tell, especially if you've played the game of hockey, when you have scrimmages and practices, you know, you see, you rarely go down. When somebody hits you or something, you don't go down. But in the game, some of these slashes, high sticks, you know, and I'm using that. It's not really hitting you hard. But these guys are going down as if they've been hurt. And even the goalies, as soon as the stick is near them, they're flopping on the ice and, the refs are calling it. That's just BS. Hockey is starting to turn into a little bit like the soccer, which really disgusts me. You know, when guys get stitches, they go right back out and play. When they get cuts, they go right back out and play. So don't start rolling around. Yeah, I know you could get the team a penalty, the other team a penalty. But, you know, be a man and uh, play the game the way it's supposed to be played. Okay, and you did actually answer the second part of Christie's questions, which was, what are your thoughts on the recent suspension? So you thought one should have been and one should not have been suspended. So we'll go to the next quest question, which is from Howie. He says, hello, Cam. Glad to see you are telling stories and sharing your experiences. I am 50, so I was 10 to the era that is now extinct. But I do remember the early 1980s. The hockey history stories from 1970 to around 1985 are incredible and some unbelievable, especially in today's game. Which brings me to my question. Do you think hockey has gone too far away from intimidation, fights, body checks? I don't mind that hockey is cleaner, faster, but I think intimidation is gone. No one fears anyone or any rink. But worse to me is that no one seems to be accountable for anything. I'm going to hit the star player because I know nothing will happen to me. Love to hear your thoughts. And I think we know your thoughts, but it'll be interesting to see what you say about it. He's a hundred percent right. You could be five foot six and you play like you're six foot five because you could stand up to a guy and get in their face and challenge him because you can't get hurt anymore. Right? They know that. They know that the, the league is protecting them and they can act like they're really tough out in there. And back in the day when I played it before me, it was a physical game, and maybe it was a way too much on one side. It was goon hockey. There's no doubt about it. Now they've gone too far the other way. So, yes, the guys, like I just said, you know, five foot six playing like they're six foot five. Back in the day when you roughed up a, a Gretzky, a Lafleur, a star player, that wasn't a physical guy. And they don't get in your face and challenge you. They just play the game of hockey. And if you went and cheap shot at these guys, you would pay a price. And that would be the end of that. That's why everybody respected a Dave Semenko. You know, guys like Semenko, pro Bob Probert. Because they can play the game of hockey. And um, nobody likes to fight. Let me tell you, that is not 
the fun spot to be on a team is you're the fighter. I'd love to be the goal scorer. You don't ever have to worry about that kind of stuff, right? And as I've said in other podcasts, when it comes time to negotiate, Semenko was telling me that, you know, he was so good at what he did. His teammates absolutely loved him as a person, as a player on the ice, and the role he played. They all realized it's not a fun game. You know, you got to fight time and time again because they bring guys up from the farm team. Oh, you can beat guys in my team? Well, let's trade for so-and-so on the, from the farm team. Well, let's bring so-and-so up to challenge you. So it's never-ending. That cup never runs dry. So now these guys will take advantage of the skilled players. And if you just do anything at all to try to help out, all of a sudden you get, you know, four more penalty minutes. In the game of hockey today, these power plays are pretty potent. It's given the players that aren't tough a lot of opportunity to play tough. That's not your role, buddy. So don't don't be faking like you can stand up to the, the big boys. So before we get to the next question, we just wanted to thank everyone who is leaving reviews on iTunes. I think that's a really great way for us to have the podcast celebrated a bit. And I know it helps with the rankings when people are trying to find the podcast. So thank you to everyone that is leaving reviews. I know you posted a couple on your Twitter, so I will read one or two. Uh, just to acknowledge them and thanks very much. So the first one says, my friend got me started on the podcast and I love it. Cam taught me a lot about the game I had no clue about, sparking my interest in the WHA. It's like traveling back in time to another era of hockey that I wasn't a part of. Totally worth a listen for any hockey fan. Thanks again, Cam, for the story about Bauer and Shore and the one about Bobby's toupee. Those are my favorites. So I forget which episode that was, but if you haven't heard those stories, you should go back into the archive and uh, take a listen. And Chris, by the way, I know the the gentleman said sure, but it's actually Johnny Bauer and Eddie Schock. Oh, that's right. Okay. And the next one is, man, do I love this podcast. Cam is such a natural storyteller, funny and thoughtful and human. And his son does a great job guiding the subject matter and segments. Oh, now I know why you wanted to read it. <laughs> hey, it's not all about you, but it mostly is. Uh, it's like hanging out and listening to the cool uncle you never had. I grew up in a hockey family and could listen to this kind of stuff forever. Thank you for sharing. This is nice to hear. Right then? Oh, that's that. I mean, honestly, that makes me feel real good. I'm, I'm so used to being the bad guy playing hockey my whole career growing up in Winnipeg and every rink I would go to I would, people would boo me and even leaving the dressing rooms I had guys want to fight me in the hallways so when you hear something good every now and then you know it, it does my heart a lot of good so thank you very much for the positive feedback and you know I got broad shoulders if there's something that uh, is bugging you and you want to write some review that's not so good. I mean, I can handle it, but I'm not encouraging that. So the next question is probably a quick one, and it's from Craig T., and he wants to know when is the last time you spoke to Pierre LaRouche? And I guess you played with him in Montreal? Well, I did play with Pierre, and Pierre and I hung around. Uh, the two of us weren't playing too much hockey. Bowman, you know, me, I, I was a rookie there uh, and a rookie in the NHL, even though I played in the World Hockey for four years, whereas LaRouche, LaRouche, he scored 50 goals once or twice before he came to the Canadians. That guy had a lot of ability, and uh, and I don't know why Bowman wouldn't play him. Um, 
I know there was a few individuals that didn't have nice things to say about Pierre. I'm not one of them. I like Pierre and his wife, Cindy. Great, great couple. And the last time I saw Pierre, he was actually in Edmonton. And time flies. It's like they say, the days go by slowly, but the years go by quickly. I'm going to say maybe, you know, 1990 to 95 area. Some raid in there. He was in Edmonton. So uh, we hung around for an evening and uh, got to know each other again. And I think he lives in Pittsburgh. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, Mary Lemieux has got him on uh, Pittsburgh's payroll. So I have a question for you. What are your thoughts on Brad Marchand's licking the players? I know you tweeted about it a little bit. And not only your thoughts on that, because it is quite strange, but have you seen anything similar in your playing days of something bizarre that someone did? And you don't have to use the example from last episode yeah. of you biting someone I in a just, fight. I <laughs> was just thinking that. Okay, besides me biting a guy, that's, you know, but I... I, I I don't know. You know, maybe I shouldn't be the guy commenting on that. But that is so ignorant. It's, it's equivalent to spitting in somebody's face. Like, who wants your saliva on my mouth? You know, like, that is so ignorant. For And that goes back to, you know, I saw after the game when they asked him about it. You know, Brad says, oh, well, he punched me in the face four times. Well, they showed the highlights. He kind of pushed the guy once, and then Marchand got in his face. And then licked him. And then the guy punched him three times in the head with a glove on, which doesn't really hurt. And you can't really try to knock him out when you're doing it. It's more like just to get in the face when you're punching the guy. That is so ignorant. But that goes back to that uh, if they could have just dropped their gloves and gone at it, you know, maybe that would have stopped and, 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 and the league doesn't have to get involved in full Brad Marchand and say to him, hey, no more. Okay, there's no penalty for doing that, but we're going to give you a penalty for now on. He should automatically get a 10-minute misconduct, like automatically, and even hire more consequences. But you can't be doing that. That is getting goofy. And so I, I would have loved to see them. He, he get a two-minute instigator or a four-minute instigator, and somebody beat him up. Like I wouldn't be too too pleased if somebody did that to me. I don't think there, well, I know there is no room in hockey for something like that. And I got to believe every single listener out there is going to agree with that. That is uh, totally ignorant. That is not the game of hockey. Man up, don't start looking, guys. Sure, it bugs you and you're getting under their skin, but that's pretty immature, okay? What does he make? Five, eight million dollars a year. He makes some big money. Don't act like a child out there and start licking people, okay? You're a way better hockey player, a way better person than doing that. So I got to believe that that's going to be the end of that. So we have a question that you might need to think about uh, before you answer, but it's from Kevin M. in San Francisco. And he wants, or he is asking, if you have any regrets or missed opportunities uh, to do with hockey. Well, you know... That I really do believe, and I, I would think that anybody that stays in hockey when it's over is because they believe that they're good at what they do and they can contribute. And uh, if you're an assistant coach, a coach, you know, working with the players, um, a scout, you could contribute by finding good players, good talent. Uh, that's what I wanted to do so bad after hockey. I just didn't, you know. I think we, this is just me analyzing myself after the fact. But 
when I look back, I was aggressive, uh, even off the ice. And uh, I kind of always said what was on my mind. And, and, you know, looking back, the guys that, uh, that I know that are still in hockey, they're two different people. Like around the rink, they were the nicest to management and you could never find fault. And those are the guys that everybody wants to, to bring along. So, so for me, I didn't really have that opportunity. I've mentioned before, I hung around with George McPhee. And George told me um, when I was coaching five or six games in the American League with a last place team, and we won, and we weren't making the playoffs, and I won. We won every single game that I coached. And uh, I remember the first place team, we beat them in their own rink. And their coach, his name was John Paddock. He ran on the ice and he said, how'd you do that? How'd you do that? I really honestly believe that I had a a love and a, I really wanted to see the players do well. It was through a lot of uh, analyzing and bringing out the positives. And it was just a feel that I had. But I don't think, because I'm two different people, you know, playing the game and around the rink. But as soon as I had a coaching hat on, I was a whole different person. And I don't think anybody could look beyond just the kind of guy I was to see that, you know, George told me, you know, Kim, because he was on the team for those five or six games, and he came up to me back then. He said, you are an awesome coach. You're going to do a great job. And the players on the team, they said, we want you to coach next year, and can we sign a petition for you and give it to management? And I said, well, no, but thank you very much. Well, why would you say no? Well, I, you know, because that wouldn't do anything. Like, the management didn't care. This was the Rangers farm team in New Haven, shared with the Los Angeles Kings. The Kings owned the, the, the franchise itself. I didn't really know any of the management. And so they got rid of the coach that year. The coach, the, the position was open. I, I really thought that uh, I'd have a chance at that position. So, yeah, maybe looking back, I should have said to the guys, get involved, guys, if that's going to get me the job. But as it worked out, uh, their management, L.A.'s management, was Pat Quinn and a guy named Rogan Vashaw. They came to New Haven, Connecticut, and I lived an hour away, and I slept in the dressing room overnight. It was freezing in there, man. I put a bunch of towels on me because I didn't want to miss these guys. You know, they they said, okay, we'll interview you, but they just went through the motions. They, was, they were not serious about me whatsoever. And uh, they ended up hiring Robbie Fatorik for the job. I played with Robbie for two, three, four years, and that's who I was competing against. But really, that's who they wanted. So they, they did me a favor and interviewed me, but I, I know for sure that they were never serious about me. But And that's why I've tried to get on with George over 20 years. And uh, obviously, the longer you're out of the game of hockey, the less desirable you are. So, you know. And then I tried to get on with Don Maloney when he was with Phoenix because I played in Phoenix and I used to be a crowd favorite. And uh, he 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 got back to me and he said, you know, you can tell it's just a brush off. He, he said, OK, we'll put your resume on file. And as soon as something you're qualified for comes up, then we'll give you a call. Yeah, right. So, you know, he's in uh, Calgary now. He's, I think he's assistant general manager. And I wish him all the best. But I wanted to get on, but I just didn't have that one guy to believe uh, uh, in me. Um, Phyllis Mizidu did hire me as a scout my first year 
out of hockey. I was doing nine to five in New York City on the weekend. I was in charge of college division one hockey. And so I travel around. I just loved it. Phil got let go. Somebody else came in. And that was the end of me. And mom and me have a theory. Or is it mom and I? But either way, we think that you, uh, it's also a networking problem where you're really nice to like the, the janitors, That's true. That is the, true. the people at the, unfortunately, at the bottom of the, the rung. And you're spending your, like that, that story with what Johnny with the short leg? Tony. Tony with the short leg. You spend so much time with the everyday guy and not spending time getting to know the management or, you know, playing the game and getting on their radar. Uh, that probably bit you in the butt. Well, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, when the first time I ever got sent to the minors, it was by Craig Patrick with the New York Rangers. And uh, he sent me to the minors, and I didn't even see it coming. Because, you know, beginning of the season, I had a lot of chances to score. And when you get chances to score, that means you're doing something right, and it's just a little while longer, and you'll start figuring out. All of a sudden, I was at the rink skating that morning, and I go, and Craig was there. I go home, and he phones me, and he tells me I'm sent to the farm team. And I said, Craig, could you just give me another shot at it? Maybe I wasn't fighting. I wasn't as aggressive. And, and he just said, no, that's it. And so um, years later, we were riding on a bus and playing for the Ranger baseball team. And we were sitting next to each other, and he said to me, he said, Cam, how come when I come in the dressing room, you used to give me dirty looks? I said, Craig, why would I give the general manager, a guy, you know, who's in charge of my future, why would I give you dirty looks? And he said, well, I, I couldn't really figure that out. And, and I thought about it. And, uh, you know, there's certain people that always have smiles and they look very approachable. And I know, I think I take after my father that, um, you know, if there's nothing on my mind, I might, it just be, might be a natural look that's a frown. And maybe that's what Craig Patrick was thinking that when he walked by, I was just looking at him. I, I, I wasn't, there was no judgment or giving him dirty looks, but maybe, maybe that's the case. But you're right, Chris. I never, uh, I never, I have trouble with authority, I guess. And, uh, and maybe it showed and it's too bad. Yeah. I don't think it's a frown. I think it's just intensity. Um, and, Try being the son of someone that intense when you get in trouble. But we don't have to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, that's why you're so nice today. So well, we have one last question, and it could be interesting or funny or it could be gross. Um, but it's from Thomas in Minnesota, and he wants to know if there are any interesting hazing stories that you can share that aren't uh <laughs> Yeah, I know where you're going with that. You know... I'm not against hazing. I mean, it's actually could be a lot of fun. When I was in junior, I was 19, I was a rookie, and I, I go to Flin Flon, and they would shave everybody who's a rookie their hair right off. I remember they were talking about, I was the last guy to get, you know, and they said, well, we're going to shave your head. And it's like Muhammad Ali says, nobody's afraid of a tough guy, but everybody's afraid of a crazy man. So I just said, First fucking, excuse me, first guy that uh, comes and tries to grab me, I'm going to just spear him right in the head, you know. And they just went, holy cow, he just might. So I was the only guy in all of Flynn Fawn's history, I was told, that never got my head shaven. And now 
I know throughout pro, there's, you know, some of the guys would would tie down a, a rookie on a trainer's table with no clothes on, and they might put boot shellac under their armpit. But there's always, always a couple guys that just took things way too far. And, uh, it, you know, it was gross what some guys would do. And so when you get those guys, they ruin it for everybody. They think it's so funny. And I know I, I would put a stop to it or I would just leave because there's always one or two guys that take it too far. And so I've seen that. Uh, I'm not against it, but it can't be anything stupid. And there was stupid guys doing that stuff. So that's my answer. Okay, well, thanks everyone for the questions. Keep sending them in. Until next time, I am Chris. And I'm Cam.